On this episode of Wild in the Streets, Fabio Testi's brother is killed and he's out for revenge against a psychotic mobster in Lucio Fulci's ultra-violent Contraband. Comenciano! Welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Euro crime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the mad dog killer, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. How are you doing? Doing so good. You know, I said at the beginning here that this is the, the Euro crime films of the 1970s and beyond. Liam, on this episode, we've reached the beyond. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because this is a 1980 film, and also that's a little play on words because the director of this film is also the director of a movie called The Beyond. That's true. That is both true and fucked that you decided to say that. But um, yeah, I didn't. I'll tell you what. I'm no expert, Doug, but this did not feel like a 1980s film to me. This is one of those 1980 films that feel like a 1978 film. You know, very much so. Very much so. You know, Roberto Curti's book, Italian Crime Filmography, which we're kind of using as a guide to help us decide what movies to choose for the show. It, uh, I believe it starts in 1968, and 1980 is like the final year of how, like the, the the distinctive point of where Eurocrime sort of ends. I mean, I'm sure that there are ones afterwards. So, I mean, we're really talking about the end of that as a kind of, of, of a genre that was popular at that time period. So, uh, I think the fact that this feels like a 70s movie is kind of appropriate. It also when you compare it, and this is something we'll talk about in just a moment, to the entirety of Lucio Fulci's career, which goes back to, I think, the early 60s. Um, you know, a lot of the movies that people think about with him are his 1980s output, but like, there's a kind of a clear delineation between his 70s era and what he's doing in the 1980s. Everything about it kind of changes. Because he had such a breakthrough with horror films in the 80s, people don't know what a... Uh, this is I, I can't think of a less disrespectful way to say this, but he seems in some ways like a director for hire for a chunk of his career. Well, that, he was like, I mean, again, we talked about it on this yeah. show before. A lot of the Italian directors, including exactly. Dario Argento, were like that. They had to the the work of an Italian director at that time period. You could bring yourself to the work, but it had to be within this these categories, right? Right, right. But I think that. Because he, I mean, I don't know how you feel about Fulci. Uh, I guess we'll. Get well, this it. is what we're here to talk about in this yeah. in this segment, Liam. We're going to talk about our thoughts on Lucio Fulci, the famous Italian director, best known for his ultra violent horror movies of the 1980s, but who had a extensive career going back, as I said, to the early 60s. So I think I think because those movies are so defining of what people think of, of who he is. Sure, you know, like oh, Fulci, he is these movies which is honestly not a lot of films and what is a huge uh filmography actually um it, it feels disrespectful to point out that actually he was following the trends at certain times and he was doing things that were what was popular because it makes it seem like well then his horror stuff is i don't know less auteur or less authentic but and even that is kind of an unfair thing to say yeah. i mean i know i know that you're intentionally saying that but but it's also unfair because Horror in this case, he had he also did Jolly, right? Which are right. horror films, yes. Yes. but are incredibly stylish and very, very different than his 1980s kind of more, you know, his 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 uh, Gates of Hell trilogy and things like that. But the, you you've seen this phenomenon, right? That like there are people who know the Gates of Hell trilogy and some of the other horror movies he put out around that time that are sure. part of that trilogy. And then when they talk about old Fulci, they only go back to the Jolly, or they talk about. Uh, trans you, you could maybe think of like New York Ripper as a transitional movie. And then when they're like, oh, deep cut, they just go to one of the lesser known horror films. You know what I mean? Like, uh, sure. like uh, what's a good example of that? Uh, Manhattan Baby or Enigma or, you know what I mean? Like things like that. And instead of being like, well, he actually did a lot of things before those movies even. Like that he had been directing for a long time. And that sometimes, I mean, it, you know, if a movie like Conquest sort of falls out of favor although sure. i think right now people are 
still yeah people are coming back on yeah 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 but if it fell out of favor i wouldn't feel that weird about that i don't think it's a great movie so you know if you were if someone was like give me your favorites of the fulci filmography i don't think conquest is going to make it in for me but some of the movies that don't get talked about that I've managed to see, some of them you can't are hard to find. I shouldn't say sure. can't because mm-hmm. some people can find anything, but they're not easy, readily available. So there's still a bunch of Fulci I haven't seen. But the ones I've seen that don't fit into this sort of vision people have of him are still very good movies. And so I kind of I, I I don't want to pretend that he didn't have a unique vision when it comes to horror because clearly he did. Uh, but I don't want to. But I also want to respect the fact that he was diverse and versatile. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. He's more versatile than I think even some of his fans give him credit for. I also want to correct myself a little bit. I did say that his directorial career went back to the early 1960s. It actually goes a bit earlier than that, Uh, really even stretching back to his documentary shorts in the 1940s, and his writing goes back to the uh, 1950s as well. But certainly the films that he's most connected with would start in the 1960s. Yeah, I was going to say, number- a lot of his filmography from the 50s, let alone the, the early 60s, doesn't get talked about at all. Like, no, not at all. Yeah. I'm not even sure if some of these have actually been translated. I mean, the, certainly they're not known by their English names. I mean, I my my knowledge of his career starts with his like uh, James Bond ripoff movie uh, and sure. then goes forward from there. But even that, we're talking about mid-60s, right? But I mean, I, you know, I've seen... I mean, I do not pretend to be a Lucio Fulci expert, uh, and I started with, like a lot of people that we know started, Liam, which is you you probably start with Zombie or The Beyond yeah. or City Zombie of the Living 2. Dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then and you kind of work around there, and then you eventually move back to the Gialli. And I do have to say that that Don't Torture a Duckling is my favorite Giallo ever. It, it, I think it's absolutely incredible. And then you, then you probably see some of the weirdo stuff because it's like, oh, he made a White Fang movie. Oh, he made some westerns. And I like um, For the Apocalypse a lot as well. Um, but I, 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 think his, I think his westerns are uh, underrated, the ones that yeah, I've seen. Absolutely, especially because they come a little bit... Uh, I mean, For the Apocalypse came a little after the, the height of the genre, let's say. But going back to... Um, to his late 60s work, I've seen things like One on Top of the Other, which is, I mean, I like that. I think it's pretty interesting. But there is a lot to to explore that people do not talk about that much. Well, I'm saying, how many people do you know who've seen uh, A Cat in the Brain mm-hmm. and haven't seen any of his Westerns? And it's yeah. like, A Cat in the Brain is, I mean, it's fine, but it's certainly not, I would think, the way to understand him as an art, it, it feels like a last ditch kind of effort. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, or it I mean, in some ways, it feels like a culmination. But yeah, I see right. what you're saying. It's 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 not. It, there's a sense for me in which the later later part of his career was grasping back to horror being the height of his powers, um, and and I and I don't think that's wrong. But there's a little bit of a disrespect for his earlier work in that that I don't think is fair. Yeah, I I think that I mean, he had an interesting ending to his career because it was sort of going into the same direction as Dario Argento, right? right. Where uh, he had this very hot period in the '80s that people think of uh, connect with him, and then has to live up to that again and again. But he actually passed away before it got. I mean, some of his later films are a little weak, but I actually still like Demonia actually quite a bit, and that was only a few years before his passing. Um, and and you know he, he it didn't get kind of sad like it has gotten with Dario Argento's career. I offend, if I offend anybody with that, I apologize. It's just how I feel about some of those films. But I mean, just going back to the film that we're talking about today, Contraband. I mean, that's a movie like Conquest that you just mentioned, right? In that it is a Lucio Fulci movie, and it's coming really in the in the uh, in the midst of of a very hot period for him. But it's him doing a genre that you don't see him work in ever again, and it's and you kind of wonder when you are a fan of this director or if you like his work, what would a Lucio Fulci sword and sandal movie look like? What would a Lucio Fulci Conan ripoff look like? What would a Lucio Fulci, you know, a Euro crime movie look like? And you get to see that, and it's really interesting to see him dip into these genres, you know, even after he'd kind of established himself as a single genre director, and I'm putting that in quotation. It's just that that, that just goes back to what we've been saying, which is that a lot of people think of Lucio Fulci as a horror director, but I don't think he thought of himself as that, at least not until maybe the late 1980s. Well, and I think that it's – there's a lot of – you know, I I didn't get to see that uh, Fulci film that came out. Do you remember what the what F for Fulci? Called? That one? No, I yeah. have not seen that either. Uh, I saw parts of it, but it was it was at the beginning of the pandemic for one of these online 
uh, screeners for a fest, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it expired before I had a chance to watch the full thing. Because, you know, we were all quarantined. So, like, yeah. getting time away from Maeve to watch a movie on my laptop was not exactly easy. So I, I only saw part of it. But even that, I think there's a sense in which his work is so huge for certain people not sure maybe the whole world but for a certain segment of our world um that it's hard to keep in mind his biography and who he was as a person and there's a lot of his later career that it seems to me from what i've read was affected by his uh uncontrolled diabetes right and people forget uh when we talk about diabetes well, the larger culture, it's a joke, right? It's just let's talk about chopping off someone's foot or some shit, yeah. you know? It's or let's make fun of Wilford Brimley, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and like whatever, that's fine. But we forget that it's not only a disease that can lead to necrosis of your limbs and shit like that; it also affects your mental abilities. Absolutely. And, and, and I know this as a type one diabetic who is mostly under control. I know because I complain about things online, it seems like I'm out of control. But actually, my A1C is pretty good. I'm doing pretty good for a type one diabetic who's mostly an irresponsible human. Um, but when your sugar is out of control, it affects your mood and your cognition because your blood is thicker. It's harder to think when your blood is thick with glucose, Doug. It's actually difficult to, to be a reasonable person. And so the idea that he had – not well-controlled diabetes, and he had rough relationships with some of his most trusted creative partners, and that affected right. his later career. That's part of the story, and I know it's a sad part of the story. It's maybe not what we want to focus on, but I do think it's worth noting that some of his best movies, he wasn't working with the same people later on because those relationships fell apart, you know? Mm-hmm. And and would it be better if, like, at the time they had insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors? Maybe he would have kept making movies forever? Yeah, who knows? But the reality for me is I I'm interested in the early career not just because uh, it shows a diversity to his work, but also because I want to know what things were like before they got hard for him. Because it sounds like the later part of his life was actually really fucking hard. Right, Even right. when he was successful, it wasn't easy to be Lucio Fulci. When you think of Lucio Fulci as a director, what are some of the things that he brings to his movies that are kind of maybe even the cliche aspects? People people connect with him as a director. Well, I think uh, in a lot of his work, there is a focus on visuals above narrative. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's most obvious in his horror work. I, I mean, people I, say I that about Dario Argento as well, but I mean, it's in a very different way when it comes to Fulci. Oh, 100% different. Well, the, uh, with, with Argento... You know, I know this is what's crazy is I love I, I love what I've seen of Dario Argento, but when you compare how much Fulci I've seen to how much Argento I've seen, <laughs> I'm still a neophyte with Argento because again, I've seen the seven or eight Argento movies you have to see to be considered a horror fan in my mind. You know You're what right. I mean? Absolutely. But there's a lot of Argento I haven't seen, honestly. So mm-hmm. uh but in my mind there's still a narrative to Argento. He's just willing to use visual elements to tell a story in a very sort of direct way, which is, to me, what a director should be fucking doing in the first place. With Fulci, there's a sense in which this moment is creating such a sense of anxiety and nightmare for you, or it's pushing some other emotional experience for you. It doesn't matter if narratively it doesn't totally make sense or it's not clear how this is happening. You see this a lot with characters if a certain moment is upsetting enough a character will look upset who maybe we don't understand why they're upset like (laughs) like how are they even emotionally invested in this moment but for Fulci it doesn't matter you know what I mean like there's something about the visual presentation of things that that goes past that um and then there's other things that maybe are a little more cliche but I don't think are bad you know there's a lot of eye trauma there's a lot of close-ups on eyes as a way of communicating emotions sure um there's a lot of like quick cuts like something seems chill and then suddenly everything is awful uh and then a lot of like um uh slow motion with musical cues you know like something is happening at a slower pace and the music is communicating all the things we should be feeling in that moment um yeah i I don't know and 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 honestly as we're about to talk about in today's movie uh a, a lack of fear 
of using intense violence, not just in horror. Like, yes. obviously, horror, yeah, people like the gore. Fulci's gore. But Fulci was into gore regardless of what the, the genre was. He's like, yeah, then the guy's eye explodes. It's fine. It's going to be great. You know? It's it, it's real interesting to see him play in other genres and then those aspects still pop up. So we, we, one of the things that we have read about this movie is – so he collaborated with Jojo Mariuzzo, who he worked on a number of his horror films with, on the script to this movie, Contraband. And, you know, he talks about how Fulci gets bored when he's making uh, a script. He, he'll like, come up with great ideas, but he doesn't like to put them together. But one of the things as well, uh, Mariozzo says, is that, you know, he likes it when Mariozzo just, like, puts in these extremely violent scenes. Like, he really got off on the idea of just adding these into the script. It's kind of, I don't know, I guess it's an aspect that makes it Fulci-esque where it's just like, oh, it's not just a body getting shot. It's a body getting shot and his guts like visibly being torn out at yeah, the same time. Exactly, exactly. I, I do have to say, I it's one of the things that I know is most connected with Fulci as a as a creative force. Sometimes I find that level of violence and the lingering over it a little unpleasant to revisit. And I, I, I I'm I'm surprised to hear myself say that because like the Beyond I think is incredible. I really do think it's a wonderful movie. But some of his movies I find them grotesque in a way that are unpleasant, you know? I, like Not fun in a way that, that even some of our film nerd buddies find his movies very fun. Sometimes I just don't find his work that much fun to watch. And I know that that's not the purpose of his movies in a lot of ways. But a movie like Zombie or Zombie 2 or Zombie Flesh Eaters, right? Whatever you'd like to call it. Um, I don't revisit it that much because I find a lot of it to be really kind of gross. <laughs> It, it 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 I get that kind of visceral feel and an appreciation of like the makeup and and things like that. But like when the part in that movie where all the corpses are um like they're all in like sacks and they're sitting up and they're getting shot in kind of the climax of the movie, it it just kind of bums me out a little bit because there's just nothing kind of of exciting about it. It's just kind of really just disgusting. Um, and I know I, I guess that's the appeal for some people, but for me, it's a bit of a turnoff sometimes. Huh. I know that's here. Like, there's a part in this movie, right, where the guy gets his throat shot, and it just lingers on it for a little bit, and it's just like, that's supposed to be like this, oh, shit moment, but I'm also thinking like, oh, God, Jesus, his throat is, like, exposed. It's so gross. (laughs) I, I, if you had asked me before this conversation if I was a gore hound, I would say, no, gore is mostly boring. And um, it's fine, but it's all special effects and who cares? And I'd rather there be more narrative or more beautiful visuals or more something else besides gore until this moment. And in this moment, I'm like, Doug, you're a fucking <laughs> wuss. You need to man up and watch your gore. Uh, I don't know, man. I've hey, never... look, just, just to put my bona fides out there. I mean, look. You know, I I've seen Necromantic and Necromantic too. I push them Ugh. to people. Ugh. I know what's up with the the weird, surreal, there's, bizarre. For me, there's something about Fulci where his gore I appreciate more than other gore. Mm. In fact, I I would take it over other gore uh, from some of the best gore uh, special effects masters and directors in the genre. I'll take Fulci and his shitty gore over theirs all the time because there's just something about it that I find fucking fascinating. And I get what you're saying. The first time I watched Zombie, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, let's just say Zombie because it's easier. The first time I saw Zombie, I thought, oh, it's like Romero, but uh, gross and upsetting. It's dark. It's sad. You know what I mean? And, and, and I guess that's weird to say for people. When it's not like Dawn of the Dead is an upbeat film, sure, or or let alone Day of the Dead, which is you know literally gross to think about because uh, they're eating actual guts and stuff. Yeah. But uh, but for whatever reason, the first vibe I got the first time I saw a zombie was, oh, it's like Romero, but fucked. Uh, <laughs> and yet, and yet, despite the fact that Dawn of the Dead is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, still it's in my list as like the best. I'll go back to Zombie before I go back to Day of the Dead in a fucking heartbeat. Interesting. Uh, and the same now with the two uh, movies that were hard for me at first. You know, when I came to Fulci, as much as I'm defending the rest of his career, right? I came to Fulci at 20, 21, 22, the same as all the other 20 somethings who found fucking Fulci. 
I'm here for the zombies. Give me the yeah, zombies. Absolutely. And then, you, and then you watch City of the Living Dead or The Beyond or whatever other Fulci you can find, and it's not that. The only zombie movie, really, if by the strict definition of Romero, is zombie. And even that one fucks with you as far as what the fuck is going on in that movie. And then the other ones, though they have the dead, they're not really zombie movies, really. And there's other shit going on. And it, some of it doesn't make any fucking sense. And at first, all that was hard for me. But I kept coming back, Doug. And I, I, I will say... Uh, other than my initial sort of love affair with both Romero and Carpenter, the other director in horror I've come back to the most is Lucio Fulci. I've rewatched his movies more. Again, it doesn't compare to Carpenter because I, I probably watch my favorite Carpenter movies almost once a year at this point. And it doesn't compare to Romero because for a while, Dawn of the Dead was an obsession. You know, and so I had to see all the different versions of it. And I had to, sure, you know what sure. I mean? So mm-hmm. I clocked up a lot. But if you span out over the full length of my life and think about what I've been doing since I got reinterested in movies and became someone who was commenting on movies, I go back to Fulci more than a lot of other people. Uh, and I'm not sure why that is, but I think part of it is because his gore is so fucking mean. I think he's mean. I think he's yeah. mean. I think Maybe he's... that's the thing that turns me off of it a little bit is that I... there, there's a seriousness to it yeah. that uh, that that when I was obsessed with gore as a teenager in horror films, which back then, by the way, this might be hard to understand. It was just it was a lot harder to find. So right. that's why I you know. right exactly. But, but but really, what I was searching for was fun gore and right. and, yes. and sometimes serious as well. But his movies tend to really kind of. They really focus on the hardcore <laughs> splatter, it's the stuff funny. that is meant to be taken seriously. It's funny because I would argue that the gore, the attitude of the gore in a Fulci movie, I think that's what Savini wants. I think I think Savini wants his gore to be real and cruel and hard. I think that's his vibe. And yet, whoever is working on these Fulci films, and I think it's, it probably more has to do with the direction and how it's used in the movie than it does with the effectiveness of the effect, right? Because some of the effects are not great. Some of them are amazing, right? Yeah, I, I, Gina, Gina Rossi, who did the uh, special effects on some of his most well-known horror films, I mean, I think I think he would agree with you that that he's trying to, trying to do the best he can to make it realistic-looking on a budget. <laughs> right. And not, and not always succeeding. And yet, even some of the stuff that Savini does that looks far more real and is far more impactful, I find less upsetting in a way, or, or sure. at least less mean than Fulci's. But something about that is fat. And, I, you know, people who listen to the show know, this is a, you're, you're hearing Liam here. I, I just recently cried about the Muppets. So it's not like I'm like a, a mean guy who just wants to see mean shit. But for whatever reason, in the Fulci films, it really works for me. Now, I don't know that all the mean shit works. I think sometimes Fulci movies have more misogyny than I'm comfortable with. Sure. Uh, and that's something I negotiate with with a director who I mostly enjoy. Again, he's not perfect. There are movies in the filmography I don't like. Uh, sure. but but for whatever reason, the violence bums me out, or at least let's not say the violence, the result of the violence, which is really what gore is. How mm-hmm. much are we going to show of the result of this violence? Bums me out less than some of the misogyny, which is not to say that I think the misogyny is unrealistic. Men are really as bad as the men in Fulci movies. It's just sometimes I don't want to watch it. You know what I mean? Right, right. Okay. Well, all of that said, we are talking about a crime film from Lucio Fulci today on this episode of Wild in the Streets, his only ever crime film. I want to talk a little bit when we get into talking about it, why you think that is, why this is not a genre he decided to dip into previously or afterwards. Uh, but let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Fabio Testi in 1980's Contraband. You know you can't stop the boats now. There are 200,000 people who've got to have those boats to depend on. Yeah, but that's okay. That's honest. Smoking cigarettes, I mean. A type of accord. For our organizations to join forces. Suppliers I already have. And we'll split everything 50%. No, I say no. I say no to the Marsigliese and no to drugs. And... Fucking son of a bitch. I 
I'm very happy you met my mother, but anyway, 600 should about do it. You and me and Perlanti, we can mobilize half of Naples. So what happens? It's better than everybody fighting everyone else. What do you say? Someone is muscling in on the two brothers cigarette smuggling into Italy at Naples, the police is tipped off, then Mickey's stable burns down, then the killing etc. starts. Luca responds, that is the IMDb plot summary for 1980's Contraband, a.k.a. The Smuggler, uh, and the Italian title is Luca il Contrabandiere, uh, which literally translates to Luca the Smuggler, Luca being the lead character played by Fabio Testi in this film. Uh, as we said before, directed by the great Lucio Fulci, probably best known for his uh, horror films of the 1980s, and this is his only crime film. Uh, written by Lucio Fulci and his regular collaborator at the time, Giorgio Mariuzzi, uh, who co-wrote the script for uh, Contraband based on an original story by Ettore Sanzo and Gianni Di Chiara. Uh, Mariazza restructured the script to change his pace and added more scenes of violence, so we can probably credit him to some of the scenes in this, though not probably the most disturbing scene, which we'll talk about in just a little bit as well. Mariozzo also did a lot of uh, writing in other genres and directed some films himself, including one called Apache Woman. As we said, starring Fabio Testi uh, as Luca D'Angelo, Ivana Monti as Adele D'Angelo, his wife, Marcelo Bosufi. Uh, as the uh, Marciaze, which we'll talk about him in just a little bit as well. I don't know if you recognized him, Liam. And Severio Marconi as Luigi Parlante, who's probably my favorite performance in the entire movie. We might talk about that as well. Uh, filming began on Contraband on the 3rd of December 1979. One of the things that's most interesting about this movie is that it's about smugglers, but when they, start, they, they moved from Rome to Naples to start filming their exteriors, uh, this film ended up being funded by real smugglers who helped contribute to the script, who changed things around. They changed uh, the the title slightly. They ended up uh, adding into some of the the concepts of the movie. So this movie in some ways seems pro-smuggler. That might be one of the main reasons why. It also in some ways is pro-crime in a lot of ways, uh, which I think would probably excite Liam O'Donnell. But let's find out. Liam, what did you think of 1980s Contraband? It's pretty good. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, you know, this is, this is unfortunately... I'm doing a thing that I was maybe sort of maligning uh, other people for doing earlier in our conversation, which is I'm bringing my expectations of Fulci into this. Sure. Uh, I was really excited to see this as his one uh, Polizia Tecci movie. I was like, this is going to be sick. This is like his one John, and I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And, uh, and his fingerprints are all over it. Right. I mean, this is this, is, of, this oh, is a Lucio Fulci movie and feels like one when you're watching it. Uh, the the problem is, you know, I actually the best way to uh, to sort of point this out is you had a little stinger about what this movie was about earlier. You know, uh, you said you wrote Fabio Testi's brother is killed and he's out for revenge against a psychotic mobster. Um, his brother's killed like a good forty minutes into the movie, Doug. True, um, and a lot of what happens to sort of set up that world is just it's just not clear. It's not. Not that it's confusing, but it's not compelling, right? Like the the vibe when you say this is a pro uh, smuggling movie, the 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 idea that I was able to figure out here is that there's a base level economy of smuggling in which they're smuggling you all Marlboro cigarettes. Yes, they're not smuggling heroin. They're not smuggling <laughs> children for slavery. They're not even smuggling porno. They're just smuggling American cigarettes, which I assume there's some sort of stupid tariff against. And people are like, I mean, I guess the Italian brand's okay, but I'd rather have Marble because that's what John Wayne smokes or whatever the fuck it is. And so, like, on that level, I get why it's pro smuggler, like. Let the fucking people have the Marlboros. Like, I don't see the big deal. And this idea that, like, a certain level of black market supports the community. Sure. Uh, that's a very Italian thing, I got to say here. Like, I'm not trying to be to stereotype, but, like, uh, you know, one of the things you get in a certain amount of art is that there are uh, underground economies and that those economies can sometimes be really supportive to a community. Uh, and there's some competition, but it's not clear to me that uh, our main dude, Fabio Testi, is going around shooting other cigarette guys, right? right. Like, 
it, it seems to be pretty much like, yeah, we, we run the cigarettes. We do what we can. We might be a little hostile towards the cops. They're hostile towards us. Whatever. It all seems I do like, like that there's, a, there's kind of a thrown off line that the mobsters who are kind of funding the smuggling – that they're that they're they're supposed to be kind of good guys as well, you know, good-ish guys. But they're also like there's a there's a toss-off line that they're also involved in prostitution. But this movie doesn't deal with that at all, right? No, not at all. <laughs> and so, um, but what what the movie is animated by is an anxiety about something that I think is, uh, and it, we see it in a lot of crime films. So I'm assuming it was representing something that was really going on, which is uh, people who are perpetrating crimes that. I mean, you could make an argument that they're also bad, right? But they're being uh, forced to get into drugs, right? Sure. This is a theme in American crime movies. How many mob movies are just about like, sure, we do awful things and occasionally kill people, but we don't sell heroin. And yeah. then by the 80s, it's like, of course, we all sell coke and crack and heroin. <laughs> like, we, we, there's too much money for us not to be involved in, in all the things. Yeah. That's like a big theme in American crime movies. I'm not surprised it's showing up here, especially at this time, 1980. You know, of course, there's people who are like, you've already got this smuggling ring set up for the cigarettes. Just use it for for drugs. Why not? Yeah, you know, absolutely. And and they of course are morally against that. Although, again, in the movie, uh, it's I don't know that they do a good job of making it clear. Is Fabio Tetsi actually morally offended at smuggling drugs, or is he just pissed that his brother is dead? That's also a little bit gray in the movie. I mean, that scene with all the bosses getting together to try to decide whether they're going to join with this new crazy boss right. or fight against him. I mean. The idea is that Fabio Testi basically convinces everyone else to be on his side because he talks about you know the drugs could be sold to our children, they could get to our families, right? That this is something that's going to going to. Prefer. He seems very passionate at that point, specifically about the idea of the drugs, um, and so I think that you know you kind of have to go with the idea that that's what his perspective is on it. But like you said, there is also a sense in this movie. Uh, kind of this longing nostalgia for the gentleman criminal of the past, um, and th that Which, actually plays into the final sequence as well. Yeah, and so, uh, anyways, when things start to heat up, the movie gets more interesting. It also gets a little more gross, and we'll cover that in a second. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it just feels like the movie is uh, sort of taking its time for a good chunk in a way that isn't compelling. I love a good meandering movie, but this doesn't seem like it's building enough to make it worth it. Sure. And then once things get heated up, that's fine, but it's hard to be as invested in the final stuff as you could be because the characters aren't interested. Like the main dude is not that interesting. He's not that interesting. That's absolutely, especially compared to, uh, in Revolver, which we covered on the last yes. episode of Wild Wild so much fun, has so much energy in that. In this movie, Fabio Testi's character is a non-entity. This movie just cares doesn't... about the villains and their cool faces, and they not interested at all. Well, and he, even the villains are just not – There's not, we know that they're mean, but give them something to make them interesting as well if we're going to focus on the villains so much. And I, I didn't feel like they were super compelling either. Liam, they're violent. That's what they are. No, it's not <laughs> enough, man. It's There's just not enough of any of these people for me to be as invested as I like to be. And so it's not bad. I, you know, I'm being a little more negative. It's not that, that it's a bad movie. It's just if there was more there to be invested in than that finale, that the last section of the movie would be that much more exciting. As it is, it's just kind of good it's kind of a good way to end the movie but it, it just doesn't have the same effect and as you said the movie has this bent towards like older gangsters being yeah. more respectable more honorable and there's a visual representation of that and like you know let's say my entire knowledge of italian gangsters is based off of our experience watching these movies <laughs> i'm not convinced that the older ones were that much better than the newer ones honestly like <laughs> i guess they weren't stoked on heroin but uh other than that i don't quite know that they're like good dudes and this movie yeah. kind of suggests that maybe they are or, or at least at least the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Uh, There's uh, a deus ex machina in this where it's just all throughout the movie you're seeing this old gangster just sitting at his house watching westerns on the TV and just switching the channels. And you wonder all the way through, what the fuck has this guy got to do with anything? Basically, he is the guy that when shit just gets too – if it goes too far and things are getting out of control, you know, he's just got to make a couple of calls and then – 
there's a massacre in the final 20 minutes where all of these old gangsters basically set up in a town square and kill all the baddie bad guys. And that it's like at any point he could have done that, but it had to get to a point where he's like, oh, I'm so sick of this. And he's just a put upon old man at that point. Yeah, he he doesn't even want to be involved, but nope. you know, he's he's got to be, you know, whatever. Anyways, it's it's you know what's funny? That part I fucking loved. I was like, "Yes, yes." <laughs> but as I was thinking about it, I don't think the movie earns it because we're not shown the movie hasn't given me the information for me to believe that these dudes are any better than the other dudes. Sure. And so from my knowledge, I'm not convinced. And the movie hasn't sold me enough on our main guy that I really care. The the the, the most compelling part emotionally in the film is the most awful part that makes me kind of frustrated with the movie, which is the horrible rape. You know, like right. that's emotionally compelling because rape is terrible. But like I don't know that it's necessary for the movie, and I think we'd have a much better movie if we knew enough about our main character that he was compelling in and of himself without having to put his wife in such a horrible situation. Especially when we get the idea that this is part of a whole series of sexual assaults that she's been put through. Yes. It's just it's just horrifying and over the top. And I get we've been talking about well, Fulci's over the top. Well, you know, for whatever reason, I find the physical violence less upsetting than the sexual violence. And maybe that makes me a hypocrite, but I'm okay with that. There's also a scene where a, uh, a woman gets her face burnt in extreme close-up and lengthily and lingering, um, which maybe we'll talk about in a second as well. I wanted to go back to that question that I had at the beginning, which was that Lucio Fulci never returned to this genre again of these kind of action crime movies, never did it before. Even though you obviously have some issues with this movie, why did you think? Why do you think he he never went into this genre? Why? I mean, he obviously was very prolific at the time when these movies were very popular. Never dipped into it. Why do you think that is? I mean, I assume he was focused on other things, and I right. also um, the what's not clear to me, and maybe Doug, you have a better perspective on this, is were the audiences for Gialli that different than the audiences for Polizzatecci? You know what right. I mean? Like, I wonder if for him, he hit this this sort of, I mean, he made three really compelling Gialli, right? Like, right. Mm-hmm. just really solid. So maybe he didn't feel like po- these police movies were something he needed to mess with. And then as far as not going back to it, he makes Contraband, that's 1980, comes out, or he makes it, starts in 79, comes out in 80. Then he's got this run, right? Because Zombie, I think, came right before this. Right before this, he does Zombie. And then I guess that gets him like, oh, you should do more horror. Bang. City of the Living Dead, The Black Cat, The Beyond, House by the Cemetery, New York Ripper. That run of movies... If if you if someone who's skeptical of Fulci as a director would have to admit those were his most successful, most interesting, most compelling movies for a larger audience. Sure. Uh, again, we I think both would actually say his Giallis are really good, his Westerns really good, but when it comes to like him being a, a figure that people knew, that's an unbeatable run of movies right there, you know. And and really, he doesn't hit a misstep until Manhattan Baby in nineteen eighty two. So like these these are arguable points, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> you think so? Oh, because you don't like New York Ripper. I I have some issues in New York Ripper, and I'm one of the unwashed few who don't care for House by the Cemetery either. You could burn in hell, my man. <laughs> but again, uh, I and I wouldn't say I would also argue that every movie after Manhattan Baby isn't necessarily totally bad. They're not sure. as successful. Like like I said, I'm not a Conquest fan. But, you know, I think there, there are things in Enigma and Murder Rock that are interesting. Some people like Zombie 3. I'm kind of meh on it. But, like, there's there's moments. Really, I, you know, I, I, then again, I've never seen House of Clocks. or I have House seen House of Clocks. I mean, it's a TV movie, so you have to take that into account. It has some interesting yeah. ideas, right? Yeah. But the the, the point being... He makes contraband. I don't know how contraband does financially, but he hits such a vein of horror movies for the next couple years. I'm not surprised he wasn't excited to go back to this one genre that maybe wasn't that successful for him anyway. Especially, yeah, and also had been fizzling out at that point. Yeah, 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 totally, 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 totally. For me as a viewer, I also think he's not as successful at this genre as he is at some of the other ones he's done. I don't know if he shoots action well. No, that's, that's part of it. 
Because I don't think we've there's not many action sequences in all the movies that we've been talking about so far. I mean, spaghetti westerns certainly, but the sort of action that this movie relies on, like boat chases and car chases and things, I just don't feel like he's that interested in it. No, I really don't think that this again. This isn't a bad movie, but I don't think it's as compelling as a lot of the other movies we've watched in this genre. Uh, we did already talk about violence uh, quite a bit in the opening segment of this podcast, Liam. But this movie does feature a lot of very extreme violence. I mentioned the throat being shot. Uh, there's a, a, a stabbings, corpses being hurled through a window in a very memorable moment. Uh, bodies being burnt. Um, what did you think about the violence in this? In, you know, we've seen now a few of these Euro crime movies. None of them have been as violent as this. Not even close. What did you think of that addition to this as kind of a uh, a spice to make this a little bit different? The only time where it felt out of place to me, again, I, 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 you know, this is a theme. I'm, I'm not a big fan of sexual violence, and I, and I, and I don't. I think it has to be a very specific kind of story to make it necessary to even be in the plot. But taking that away, the only one that I found to be so excessive that it kind of took me out of the movie is the one that you mentioned, and it, it's not the brutality towards this woman in and of itself. Because I'm not that surprised that they would turn on this woman per se, but it's such a long scene. The face burning scene is so long. And I get that that's very fulci, that he's going to draw that out and be like, yeah, look at this fucked up thing. I'm just going to make you stare at it for long and long. That's very much his vibe. But in this movie, for some reason, it stood out in a way where like the throat scenes and stuff, it's, it's extra compared to the other films in the genre. But it didn't take me out of the moment. I was okay with it. I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Kind of like, you know what it made me think of is, uh, you ever see uh, Cutthroat's Nine? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's one of those westerns where it's a little more gory than you expect a western to be in a couple mm-hmm. moments. It I, it felt like that to me. Like, it's it's a little bit of extra spice, but it doesn't bum me out. But that scene with the woman, and again, not when it first starts. When it first starts, I was like, well, that's kind of fucked, but, you know, whatever. But then it just goes on and on and on. And after a while, I'm like... All right, man. You know, is she going to throw up her guts next? Like, what the fuck are we even doing here? It just, it just didn't seem to fit the film. But again, you know, I, I, I'm sure I'm also being sensitive because uh, it's a woman. But I, I, my guess is, even if it was a dude, it just goes so long that it starts to feel maybe more than is necessary for the for the kind of movie it is. I mean, we the rape scene in this is incredibly unpleasant. Fuss. And also, it, it lingers in its own way, right? Because we get to yes. hear Fabio Testi's character hear it on the phone and her just screaming over and over again. I mean, it should be unpleasant, right? But it's this, and I don't know, the, the fact that there's nudity involved and it feels like it's exploitative on that other level. And there's also that, that suggestion that they need to flip her over because they're going to Ainley rape her. There's just some really unpleasant stuff with that, especially that late in the movie. I know it's kind of the crux of, of his revenge at that part, and also her only reason for being in the movie is really for this to happen. But I have to say, that that's a real bummer. It's not something that I recover I just from think easily. It's, I just think it's not necessary. That we yeah. even just Especially knowing... Especially because he's already has the revenge motive, right? Yeah. His brother was killed. Well, <laughs> and even, even knowing they have her, like, again... You can make a very strong argument that any suggestion of sexual violence is just a reaffirming rape culture or whatever, whatever. But I would say... If you if you feel that that's necessary, whatever. But we don't need he, uh, the suggestion of something is just as effective in my mind as this long, or, or at least as effective narratively. It's not as effective emotionally. But what does the, why does the movie need to torture us in that way at that point in the film? It just seems unnecessary. We're already sold on the idea that all these motherfuckers have to die. It's not that scene isn't needed for us to be like, you know what? I think these drug dealers are bad dudes and maybe they should get murdered. I think we're already in on the murder at that point. Yeah. It just it's just it's there. I mean, I straight up think it's there to be exploitative and explicit and in some sense tantalizing for the for the for a segment of the audience that's really gross and fucked up. I just yeah. it's it's the one part of the movie where I was like, "Ah, oh, fuck this." You know what I mean? And you know, in a movie of this type from this time, you'd expect there to be even more moments where I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But it's really the only thing in the movie where I was like, you know what? This is not, this is just like, makes me, you know, dislike this movie to a certain extent. We've talked a little bit on this show, how dirty Harry was a big inspiration for a lot of the Euro crime movies that were to come after it. 
And The Godfather obviously had a massive influence on a lot of... There's a, a scene in this that seems to be a, explicitly a tribute to a scene from The Godfather. But I didn't realize how much the French connection apparently had a uh, yeah. impact yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. on European crime films. On the last episode uh, on Revolver, we had an actor, the French actor uh, from uh, The French Connection showed up, one of the villains in that. Uh, and in this movie, we have Marcel Boussouvi as El Marciazzi, who is like the main villain in this. For those who don't know who that actor is... The most famous chase scene in the French Connection, where it's the, on the streetcar, the criminal is, is like trying to get away, and Popeye Doyle is trying to chase him down in the car, and then it turns into a foot chase, and that famous image of him being shot, that's Marcel Bosufi. That's the actor in this movie as the villain, as kind of the main villain in the movie. Apparently, you know, even at this point, which, uh, let's see, 1980, that movie came out in 72, so eight years later, the idea of you could just bring in an actor who was in The French Connection and it gave you a little bit of credibility, I guess, in the genre. Any thoughts on him or his performance in this, Liam? I mean, he's certainly disgusting, which is what he's meant to be. Uh, But I just, you know, again, like I said before, I don't think there's enough to any of these villains for me to be that compelled by yeah, them, yeah. honestly. Uh, I, I guess the friend who betrays him, we see enough of that guy to really get the feeling that he sucks. I really dug, that's Perlante, who's one of the yeah. crime bosses. Yeah, 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 Basically yeah. the one that uh, Fabio Testi's Luca works with the closest. He's obviously this kind of coke-sniffing weirdo, and I mean, I called the twist in this well ahead of time, the idea well, that he's working yeah, 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 yeah. with the villains. But I mean, he's so, gr- he's kind of really distinctly sleazy and at least that's a character trait you know (laughs) it's something it's something to set him apart and to help us feel the feeling of like yo i hate that dude i have to ask liam i didn't we haven't talked about this at all yet did you watch the italian or english dub of this film you know that's a good question douglas um i actually watched the english Right. We had, we've talked about this on all the episodes so far, right? Because I even mentioned when we watched Revolver that I watched the English dub because I wanted to hear Oliver Reed's voice, even though he's doing a weird, reedy version of his real voice with an American accent in that film. Um, and now I feel like a hypocrite, Liam, because I was watching the English dub on this, and then I switched it over to the Italian with subtitles instead. The reason being... Some of the performances were so bad on the English dub, particularly the uh, Luca's brother in this. He he's terrible. I, I maybe I could have switched over after he gets murdered in the half hour mark, but yeah, the the, the dubbing in this particular movie is not very good. Uh, I will say there's a weird thing that happens during multiple scenes when someone you care about gets shot. There are two different voices when they get shot. And I wonder if they left, if they combined the English and Italian dub for the shooting scenes. Because it's two different voices going, ah! Especially, it's most notable when the brother's killed by the fake cops. You can hear two different voices on the English dub going, ah! And I was like, did they... Did they cycle back in the Italian for this? Why are there two voices? It doesn't make any sense. It's that very weird. I will also say that the audio quality on the Italian version was much higher than the English oh, version. Oh, is that right? Oh, I uh, wish yeah, I had yeah, watched yeah. it then. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't make a massive difference, but it was something that I noted right away. Uh, I think we've already talked about this movie does feel like a Lucio Fulci movie, both because of the violence and the kind of style of violence, but also because it's uh, the, the director of photography was Sergio Salvati, who worked on a bunch of Fulci's films, uh, as well as the music is done by Fabio Frizzi, who uh, worked on uh, Zombie and most notably on his score to the Beyond. Uh, any thoughts on the music in this film? I know you're a music guy, Liam. Uh, you enjoy the soundtrack to uh, Contraband. It's a little less obvious than some of uh, Freezy's other. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not as uh, it's not always as obvious. It's not as omnipresent. That's for yeah. Sure. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but it's noticeable. There's definitely some really good sections. But it's not. It's it. It doesn't. It doesn't become as much a part of the movie as, say, like The Beyond or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because the main themes aren't maybe as recognizable. Though I do yeah. like how bass-heavy the stuff is. I mean, yeah, I some agree. of the early stuff is is uh, kind of disco-y, but as you get into like the, the, the crux of the violence at the end of the movie, it's just a lot of kind of funky, you know, cop movie type, uh, type themes. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. It's, I, I don't know that I would buy the record, but I liked what I heard. Well, I'm sure listeners will be able to hear some of that in this episode. Uh, I do want to talk just briefly about Fabio Testi in this film. We talked about him already, that he's kind of a a blank slate. Any feelings about his performance at all? It is 
there isn't much to it because he's supposed to be sort of a I wouldn't say goody two shoes necessarily, but since his smuggling is seen to be a good thing for everybody, it's supposed to be supporting the community. Everything we see him do is like with his family. He loves his wife. He has a kid. He's a good guy. All that sort of thing. He's almost a little too squeaky clean for this kind of movie. Any thoughts on that? He's so boring. He's yeah. so boring. And I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's his performance or it's written that way. But to me, even if it's written that way, do something, man. Like he just. It just feels like he is barely present in the movie and doesn't bring a lot of charisma to the role. Yeah, and maybe it's an impossible thing to do in this case, but I was a little disappointed considering how interested I was in seeing this performance after his performance in uh, in Revolver. Um, one other thing to talk about before we get to the ending of the movie, which is that the police are shown in this film. This is not one of the Eurocrime films which are like fixated on the police, but it only ever kind of goes back to the police investigating things to reinforce that they have like no power like like that that anything they do is not going to help the the police kind of the main police guy in this even recognizes that like arresting people these smugglers it that that it's it's useless because they're actually helping the community and the the final sequence of it like the final scene in the entire movie has the crime boss and the police captain or whatever meet up so the crime boss can basically say you know it's just like you know, uh, I knew about all this. I all I had to do was talk to my friends and make it go away, and you should be happy about it. Any thoughts about how the police are presented here? Well, there's a really uh, important scene where all the police are busting all of the people selling the cigarettes. Yes. Which is apparently, this like entire neighborhood is just about selling cigarettes, uh, and and I kind of liked that to the extent of like the police being deployed in a way that is more harmful than helpful. You know what I mean? But for the most part, it's, you know, they're not really, they're not really an important part of the narrative. So it's hard to even like care about them per se, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they're only there to say, look, there's a reason why the police aren't doing anything about this. Right. They just, yeah. they, they don't, don't have the tools or the ability, but I did kind of like that. It wasn't, that the genre that we've been watching, uh, we thought from the first couple of movies that we've uh, covered on this show, like Bandits in Milan and things like that, that it was going to be a lot more of the lone cop on the run type thing against right. this, this yeah, yeah, element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that this movie is a little more sympathetic to the needs of the people in these, you know, who are struggling that need these resources. I don't know if that's reflective of reality necessarily, but as someone who takes a, you know, light pro-crime stance in the reality of our yeah. world yeah <laughs> it's nice to see that that this movie is uh not willing to just go with the old you know uh white hat black hat type characters here right i mean i do think that um you know i some people might feel like there's an underlying uh conservative bent to the anti-drug thing depending on sure. how you feel about drugs but you know i'm not a big drug fan anyway so i don't mind them being the villains of the whole movie Liam straight edge feelings <laughs> making their way into the show. Um, Liam, the ending of the movie, as we've already mentioned, Fabio Testi's wife is uh, kidnapped. She's raped, and he is at his wit's end. Uh, he basically is forced into joining up with the crime boss. He has a big meeting uh, in a town square, and what we find out is that he has contacted or somehow has uh, the, the the word has gotten out to the big old guy crime boss. He makes a couple of calls, and suddenly we have a barrage of you know older fellas come in there who absolutely massacre this uh, the the bad guy Marcel Bosufi or the, the uh, El Masiyazi, um crime boss. What did you think of that sequence in the film? Did you like to see Lucio Fulci himself as one of the uh, the old mobsters mowing down people with a machine gun? I mean, it's a little corny, I guess, like considering yes. how the rest <laughs> of the movie has been somewhat realistic. And now they're just like, we just hide an old guy in every corner and he comes out, shoots once and then goes away. But there was something fun about it. Fulci being one of the guys and the way that these dudes, they all looked like retired guys. Like They are all guys who used to be criminals and now they've like. They've they've retired to relax and they're coming in for this like last minute. There's something about that that's fun, honestly, even though it's also silly in a certain way. I don't know. I, I, I think if if I was more invested in the rest of the movie, I might actually like really love that moment. Um, but it, it it's so random that it just feels like more silly than 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 you know uh, uh, exciting. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, the part that I liked was right before that sequence where it showed them all in their regular lives, 
you know, saying goodbye to their families and like doing like doing the shit that you know they're all respectable people, and then just stopping and pulling out their guns and being like, you know, <laughs> oiling them up, preparing for the battle, that sort of thing. I like that, even though you're right, it's absolutely corny. But what it does have, which the rest of this movie doesn't necessarily have, is a sense of fun, right? I mean, the right, idea is exactly. like, oh, now we know these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, at least for this sequence. And we're going to see the bad guys absolutely demolished in as violent and extreme and goofy ways as possible. And, and you know, the idea of one of these old gangsters, you know, hiding inside a newsstand and pulling up the front and shooting a guy and then pulling it down again. It, it was fun in a way that I kind of wished some of the rest of the movie had those elements of fun. And that's, you know, I think that actually does speak to how this violence is displayed sometimes. Even in that sequence where it is fun... Boy, some of the violence is really unpleasant to look at. I mentioned the guy getting shotgun blasted in the stomach. The way that his guts are just like falling out there, it's it just I love it. I love it. I mean, I love it too, but I don't know what in my brain is the difference between those kind of squibs and like when Paul Verhoeven does it, right? Where I find those fun as hell to watch in like RoboCop or Total Recall where a guy's getting torn up. But in this one, it's just like maybe it's just the slow motion of the guy falling backwards and his guts just hanging out and I'm like Gee, it just it it. I am excited and thrilled, but I'm also got that little kind of ick in the back of my throat. I'm yeah, a prude. I think that's what's happening here. Yeah, you know, you've you've gotten soft in your old age. I um, think so. Maybe so. Maybe I'm just worried about my own soft body falling apart and my guts falling all over the place. See, uh, mate, see my my experience of the rotting chases makes me excited at other people's destruction. You know. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts, Liam, on 1980s contraband? I mean, I think if you're a Fulci fan, like a completist, it's worth seeing it, especially for some of the extreme things he takes. But if if you're a fan of this genre of movie, I could see this not really making your list. Like, uh, I think it, it it doesn't compare to some of the other ones we've seen that are, in my mind, much better. Um, it, it's not bad, but it's just not an essential movie for me if I was trying to understand this genre. One of the things that you said earlier, and you, you were struggling with the term, was – Fulci's doing work for hire work in the 1970s. I think it's very fair to say that. I think a lot of the directors that were working in Italy at that time period were doing a lot of work for hire. I mean, they had to go where the opportunities presented themselves, which is why they were kind of trend chasing. The thing about it is, whether it was a work for hire work, and I don't know necessarily know this would fit into that category, but when Fulci does that work, it's still his work. And you can tell. He has a distinctive right, yeah. style, and he has a distinctive way of telling his stories, and that's incredibly on display here in Contraband. So if you are a fan of Lucio Fulci, yeah, you almost got to watch it because it's so strange to see him tackle a genre that's so different than what you likely have seen up to this point. Just like, you know, Conquest is a, an example of that as well. And just like those two movies, some people love this movie. I have saw several people say that it's in their top three Lucio Fulci movies on uh, Twitter when I said I was watching it. Other people, they kind of dismiss it. I think you should watch it. Make your own decision. I think it has a lot to like about it. The soundtrack is great. There's a lot of violence, just like you would probably want. And there are a lot of fun moments in it in the final 20 minutes, even if the whole thing gets a little dour at times. Liam, on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, I've chosen something specifically, Liam, for you. I've chosen a movie from 1974 directed by Enzo G. Castiari, who is a person we haven't actually encountered yet on this show, a director maybe most well-known for directing the original Inglorious Bastards uh, and and the relationship with Tarantino after that, um, after he made a film with the same title, even though it doesn't have much connection to that movie, starring Franco Nero, an actor we also have not seen yet on this particular program, but I've been itching to get to one of his movies. It's 1974's Street Law. Any thoughts Street on that, Law. Liam? Uh, it's on my list of movies I've been excited to cover, so I'm stoked to talk about it. Its uh, slogan is, uh, or its tagline is, Robbery, Assault, Murder, One Man Has Had Enough. So on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, One Man Has Had Enough, 1974's Street Law. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of Wild in the Streets, more Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts, more work uh, from you or others, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can head over to Cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X, to check out uh, Cinepunks the Podcast or Horror Business or the other two podcasts that I'm on or other shows like Twitch of the Death Nerve, uh, Tomb of Ideas, Wine and Cheese, uh, as well as regular writing and essays and, and merch as well. Uh, if they're looking to just sort of dive into our archive of episodes, whether that's 
uh, Wild in the Streets or Praising Kane or whatever happened to Vic Diaz, they can head over to uh, cinemasmogasboard.com uh, and find all our older episodes there of a variety of shows that we do together. Um, they can also head over to social media. They can follow Cinepunks on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X. And they can follow Cinema Smorgasbord on Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. And we, of course, always appreciate it if you subscribe and tell your friends about the Cinema Smorgasbord podcast and our variety of podcasts under that title. We have uh, episodes of George Kennedy is my co-pilot and Joe Dawowski coming in the very near future. We love uh, feedback. If you want to give that to us through the website, we uh, appreciate that as well. And, of course, if you'd like to rate us on your podcast provider of choice and leave a review, we love that. Let us know as well. We love to, knowing that people are listening to the show. Uh, you can find Liam on Twitter as well, by the way, at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But for now, Liam, it's time for us to say goodnight to the streets. Uh, on our next episode, very soon we'll be watching 1974's Street Law. Street Law. Good night, everyone. Night. Night.